There's power in a reputation. It takes years of concrete actions to build up a good reputation, and it can be destroyed in a few minutes of craziness. What do our daily actions this week have to do with the reputation of Jesus Christ? Dave Wurtson begins our study in Romans chapter 1 today with some business mottos. See what you think about the ratio of image and reality in these companies, then your church, and then your life. Have you ever noticed how much business puts a lot of stress on building a reputation? Let me check, see how well they're doing. Like a good neighbor. Finish it. Oh, you're good. Early in the morning, we're all thinking together. Okay, here's another one, a little bit harder. Making sense of investing. Making sense of investing. Who is trying to make sense of investing? Edward Jones. Gatlin, you got to work a little bit on that. They're not nearly as quick with that one. Okay. Here's another one. Or what company wants you to remember them like this? Real energy solutions for the real world. What company wants to be known for transforming ordinary materials into extraordinary solutions. All right, Chaparral Steel, all right. Here's one more motto. Who wants to be known for building God's family? All right, NBC, we want to build God's family. Good, are you sharp today? You know, a reputation, all of those slogans are just slogans until the company, which is composed of every single person that's involved in Chaparral Steel or State Farm or Ed Jones or any of those companies, or Midlothian Bible Church. And as we look at Romans chapter 1, the Apostle Paul today is going to talk about the reputation of the Roman church. So I thought it would be fun on Wednesday night, I asked uh, my Bible study group what they heard about NBC before they came to NBC. So let's throw it out today. I thought that'd be good this morning. What did some of you hear, good, bad, and ugly? What did some of you hear about NBC before you came to NBC? Okay, it's an awesome church. It's not like anything that you've been. That could be taken a lot of different ways, couldn't it? All right. What else did some of you hear? Yes, it's a cult. Well, that's a, that's a really good reputation. <laughs> Building God's family through cultic activity. Good, that's a bad one. Well, I asked the group on Wednesday night. Uh, they said, well, if you have a teenager, that's the church you need to go to, because they've got an awesome youth group. Some of the other folks mentioned, boy, if you have little children, that's the church that commits themselves to kids. As you go out this week, just like when the Chaparral Steel people go out, when Gatlin goes out and represents Edward Jones, every single one of you are determining the reputation of Midlothian Bible Church. And I want you to think in a much bigger way. You're not only determining the reputation of Midlothian Bible Church, but you're determining the reputation of our Savior. So I want you to turn to Romans chapter 1, because in Romans chapter 1, the Apostle Paul today is going to talk about the reputation of the Roman church. And it just blows me away that in these verses, that in his letter, he's never met these believers. And so he's never been to Rome. Like Paul was in Ephesus. He was in Corinth. But as we turn to Romans chapter 1, verse 8, look at it. The Apostle Paul has never been in the Roman church. Look what he says. He says in Romans 1, verse 8, First, I thank my God through our Lord Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world. 
The very first thing I want you to know about the Roman church is that they had a worldwide contagious faith. In the first century, Rome was the capital of the civilized world, kind of the Mediterranean world, stretched from Spain where Paul wants to launch a mission enterprise all the way over to what's now modern-day Iran, even reaching down to the Hindu Valley. That was considered the world, the ordered, civilized world. And the Apostle Paul is saying that already, about 23 years after Jesus, that their reputation is spreading out all over the world. What do they have a reputation for? Notice it says, first I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith, is being talked about all over the world. Already, faith can be used, and this isn't just faith in faith. A lot of people today in church are being encouraged to have faith in faith, you know, to, to be positive and to think that you can do it and, and, that, and that you just need to believe. Just whatever you believe, and that's going to do it. That's not what the Apostle Paul is talking about. Remember, in our introduction, he talked about the fact that Jesus had risen from the dead, He talked about the fact that Jesus was the son of David. He talked about the fact that throughout the book, we're going to have Old Testament passages that were written long before Jesus came and was born in Bethlehem. The Apostle Paul, already in this introduction, has focused what the faith is. And I want you to know, if you're confused this morning, say, well, Dave, I really don't know what it means to have faith in Jesus. Well, you're in the right place at the right time because the book of Romans is expressing the faith. In other words, this is what early Christians believed from the greatest apostle in the first century. And already in his introduction, he's telling us it's about Jesus being the Messiah. It's about Jesus being the son of David, which relates to his claim to be the Messiah. It's about a savior last week that I talked about that rose bodily from the dead. And now he's talking about the fact that this faith is spreading out. How did it spread out? I want you to know that at this time, as far as we know... There weren't any apostles that had come to the church of Rome. You know, we don't know anyone. Peter isn't here evidently because Paul doesn't mention him. Paul's telling us point blank, I haven't gotten there yet. I planned many times. We're going to learn that in just a few minutes. So no apostles were there yet. So you say, Dave, how did this church function? It functioned by people like you. You see, it's very possible that in Acts 2 there were some Jewish Roman believers that were at Pentecost and they heard Peter speak and Peter declared that all those marvelous Old Testament promises were fulfilled in the crucified resurrected Jesus and when Jesus rose again from the dead he proved that he was God's promised one it says they were pricked in their heart and they responded and received Jesus as their savior and 3,000 were baptized They were there for the Feast of Pentecost. A lot of them had to go back for business. So they went back to Rome, which is where all businesses had to have an office, kind of like Houston or Dallas or a place like that. And so the gospel began to spread forth by people just like you. This very powerful, influential church was propagating itself and was was known all over the world, not because they had great, powerful apostles, as developed later, because Peter and Paul were going to be martyred there. But at this early stage, it's because of people like you. So the very first thing that really grips my heart in this passage is that you and myself together, as we go out during the week, are determining what kind of a reputation that the Lord Jesus is going to have. 
And Midlothian Bible Church claims to be a place where those that believe in Jesus are gathered together. So we're determining together. So let's suppose that you get picked up by a policeman this week for speeding in a school zone. And you blow your temper at the policeman. Then what kind of a reputation does Midlothian Bible Church have? Well, not only that we break the law because we speed, but also that we have bad tempers. You see how that works? And I want you to realize it also works positively. Suppose that you're at your work and somebody comes in and they've just moved in Midlothian and they don't know how to get someplace. And so you actually not only tell them how to get there, but you say, well, wait a minute, I can drop out, can leave my responsibilities. I'll get someone to cover for me. Let me help you to get where you need to get. And you help them to do that. Even Sunday morning. You know, let's suppose you come here and your attitude is, you know, I'm not just coming for me, but I'm coming for the body, which the Apostle Paul is going to share a lot about in just a minute. As you reach out in love, in concern, in tenderness towards new people, then you're building the reputation. That place is friendly. That place is open. That place really cares about people. If we do the opposite then we have a reputation for something quite different. The early church specifically in the church of Rome had an incredible reputation for their faith. And their faith was spreading out all over the world. People were talking about this group of people that were developing family relationships through the power of believing that Jesus died on the cross and that he rose again from the dead. Is that complicated? Is that hard to do that? And I want you to capture a little glimpse right here in Midlothian. That's what you've been doing since the founding of our church, and it continues right on. For example, if you were to go to Moldova, how many of you don't have the foggiest idea where Moldova is? It's one of those small Eastern European countries. If you were to go to Moldova and you were to interact with the body of Christ there, you would have tons of young people tell you, we love Midlothian Bible Church. Because that's the church family that made it possible for our teacher that's developed our team in reaching out for campus crusading campuses. You made it possible for our leader to come and tell us about Jesus and then help us to grow. So your faith, what you all believe here in Midlothian Bible Church, is spread all over a place that you've never even heard about. You've never even heard about it, Okay. Several months ago, we had Lasagnas Mora come. So if you ever go on a trip to Brazil and you're in Sao Paulo and you go to Lasagnas' church, people are going to come up to you and they're going to say, you're from Midlothian Bible Church. We're so thankful for that. We just can't believe that. That's incredible because you made it possible for our teacher to be trained at Dallas Seminary and then you made him part of your church family. And you taught him about the church's family. So your faith and your commitment to Jesus has a reputation in South America. You could go into one village after another in Albania, a country that was closed to the gospel. And you might have never been to Albania before, but you could go into many villages in Albania. And as soon as you mention Midlothian, they go, I know that place because we've had people come and share the Jesus film with us. And eat in our houses and sleep on our floors and all kinds of stuff. You're known all over Albania. It's not just something that happened in the first century. But every one of you are part of a fabric that's developing a reputation. 
And so I asked some questions that are really hard questions for me, and they're probably hard questions for you. We could say, what is Midlothian's Bible church's reputation here in town? And let's really ask the Holy Spirit about that. They help us this week because a reputation takes years and years to build. But we all know that popular proverb, it can be torn down in just a few seconds. What's Midlothian Bible Church's reputation in Dallas-Fort Worth? What's its reputation in Texas? What's its reputation in the United States? For example, you can tell all your friends, like what we're teaching right now, you can share any of your friends in California and Seattle. They can get on the internet. They can hear what you hear. And that develops a reputation for us throughout the United States. In fact, that goes throughout the world. And so you can go like the Truth Encounter or OnePlace.com and you can share the teaching of the word with all your friends. And that's a way that we propagate our faith. A lot of you tell me as business people that you're getting on a plane and you're headed for Seattle. You bring Christ's reputation there. Somebody else will say, well, I'm headed for Korea. We live in an incredible time or I'm headed for South America or I'm headed for Europe. I want you to ask yourself, what kind of a reputation everywhere I go and I'm building, not just for my church family, but for the Lord Jesus? Second of all, how does your example and your words contribute to what people think about the power of your faith in the Lord Jesus and the influence of the local church you attend? How does your example communicate to others the power of the gospel? And that's something that I ask the Holy Spirit every day. Lord, help the power of the gospel to be evident in my life. What are some concrete actions that you've done this week that have helped others and have shown them that there is salvation power in the Lord Jesus? And then finally, will you turn away from actions of words that destroy Christ's reputation and rely upon the power of the Spirit to enable you to trust Jesus to help you to grow? I believe that one of the most powerful things that's needed as we go through the book of Romans is for us to team together and to get really serious about letting the power of the gospel transform, not just what we do here for the next few minutes, but what we really do out there in the school world, in the business world, as we reveal the power of Jesus to really change lives. And I want you to see Paul's desire to get together with other believers. And it's incredible. Paul did a great example of the basics of what it means to live a believer's life. Now, Paul was a great apostle. He was a great speaker. But the thing that blows me away in these next few verses is that he wanted to get together with people like you. And he didn't just think in terms of using his gift to meet their need, but he thought in terms of them giving to, the, to himself. As you come to church, do you think in terms of receiving something or do you think in terms of giving something? You know, I think as Americans, we're conditioned, like uh, I went to a movie with Harvey and, and Janae last night, my son-in-law and my daughter. And when I go to a movie, I don't expect to give anything. I don't expect to, you know, say hello to the person sitting in the seat next to me. I don't expect to give anybody a hug. I expect to walk into a theater, sit in a nice, comfortable chair. Hopefully it has good places to put my arms and sit back and say, let me entertain you. That's what Hollywood's supposed to do, right? I think a lot of us as Americans come to church like that. In other words, we come to church, we sit in a nice chair, and we say, okay, now do it for me. And I want you to see that that's not at all what church was in the first century. And we need to really work on this, because as Americans, we're really into the movie going. But we need to get into 
a family gathering. When you go to a family gathering, if you're like a daddy, like if I go to a big extended warts and family gathering, and I go and sit in an easy chair, put my arms on the chair, and say, all right, entertain me, people get mad because that's not the point. I'm supposed to give. I'm supposed to interact. I'm supposed to get involved, right? So you say, well, Dave, how do you, what's this stuff about interaction? Look what the Apostle Paul said. He's never been in a church. Look at the next verse, verse 9. God, whom I serve with my whole heart in proclaiming the gospel. Notice the heartbeat of Paul right off the bat. With his whole heart, he's proclaiming the gospel. That's what this whole book is going to be about. And one of the things that needs to grow in our desire is that with our whole heart, we'll want to proclaim the gospel. He said, with my whole heart in proclaiming the gospel is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. So we get another insight in the Apostle Paul's life that as he's going through his day, that he frequently comes back to prayer. So if you're just brand new in the faith, if you're just getting started, one of the things the Lord wants you to do, and it's really simple, is he wants you to start talking things over with him. So as I'm talking to you about things from the book of Romans chapter 1 today, and you're convicted about it, you want to write that down and then start talking to the Lord. Paul was Jewish. Remember I told you? So when he talked about how always I pray for you, he doesn't mean that he lives as a monk and he doesn't do anything else and he always prays. Because that'll be a cop-out for you. You'll say, well, Dave, I can never do that. I've got to go to school, or I've got to be a superintendent at a construction site, or I've got to be a veterinarian, or whatever your job is. Paul was a tent maker, so he was like a lot of you. He worked a regular job unless he had support from churches that he could give himself fully to teaching. But the Apostle Paul was a good Jew. We learned from the book of Daniel. Can any of the kids tell me when they learned the story of Daniel in Daniel chapter 6 about Daniel in the lion's den, he got in bad trouble because he prayed how many times? Got it? Three times a day. He prayed three times a day. Which way was he facing? He lived in Babylon and he faced towards a very common way. I can show you that in the intertestamental literature as well. A normal Jewish practice. How many times do Islamic people pray? Five times a day. If you're in an Islamic country, it starts real early in the morning. You hear the, you know, the, the, the cry from the, from the mosque. Judaism in the Old Testament, they pray three times a day. So what the Apostle Paul is saying, as a good Jewish person, at least about three times a day, he was praying for the Romans. But if you're going to get serious about your relationship with the Lord, like when you're driving to work, you want to have some time where you pray. That's a great time to pray. Early in the morning when you get up, you want to carve out some time to pray. Sometime in your schedule, you want to join the Apostle Paul in praying. What is he praying for? He says, I constantly remember you in my prayers at all times. What's he praying? And I pray that now at last, by God's will, that the door may be open for me to come to you. The Apostle Paul longed to see the Roman believers. In fact, the very next verse, you there's a very emotional word, I long to see you so that I may impart some spiritual gift to you to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, but brothers include you, sisters as well, that I plan many times to come to you, but I've been prevented from doing so until now. In order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I've had among the other Gentiles. Paul not only thanked the Lord for the contagious faith of the Romans 
And I want you to begin to pray that we would be known as having a contagious faith. Your church family was influential in starting Waktachi Bible Church, in starting Mansfield Bible Church. Ennis is going to start another Bible church through Waktachi Bible Church. Paul's thanking the Lord for a contagious faith. The second thing he's saying that he has a passion to gather together with other believers. And what he's saying is that I want to be mutually encouraged. And that goes back to the theater illustration again. As Americans, we're getting into the habit where we come to a theater and we have a show given to us, but we don't mutually encourage one another. Now, the Apostle Paul is the greatest teacher that I know in all of church history. I'm serious. Other than Jesus Christ, nobody was more gifted by the Spirit than Paul. Dave Lowry, one of our pastors at Dallas Seminary, when you teach for seven years, you're supposed to go away, and you're supposed to take a break so you can be renewed. You're supposed to study really hard, which is what David's doing at Cambridge. David's devoting much of this semester to studying the book of Romans and writing about it so that the church can be built up around the world. So this man, the Apostle Paul, 2,000 years after he lived... There are chairs at Oxford University and Yale University and Harvard University where men and women spend all their life studying the Apostle Paul. So that's a pretty powerful teacher. I mean, we can remember teachers that lived. How many ever heard of uh, G. Campbell Morgan? Few of you. You know, how many heard of Martin Lloyd-Jones? How many of you heard of Dale Moody? Get a little bit more. Okay. Those guys were the great, great evangelical leaders. Have you ever heard of Chuck Swindoll? They were the Chuck Swindolls of 100 years ago. But here's Paul living 2,000 years ago, and he had that kind of a teaching gift. But when he wrote to the Roman church, he's never been there. What's he talking about? He's talking about mutual encouragement. I want to ask you, as you're here this Sunday, this morning, what's your opportunities for mutuality? What's your opportunities where you're going to strengthen somebody else and they're going to strengthen you? Because you're not going to grow in this Christian life unless you get really serious about mutually sharing. The Apostle Paul says, I want to strengthen, be strengthened by you. And he says here, I'm going to be strengthened by your faith. So in other words, when you tell me how you came to know the Lord Jesus, you strengthen my faith. One of the things you, you do when you get together is you share about how you came to know Jesus and share about your faith, share about your commitment to the resurrection. Let me give you a really concrete example of how a brother in Christ that I don't know at all really powerfully encouraged me and mutually strengthened me. Last week, you know, I was feeling kind of cruddy, but, and I got better, and then I got the runs a little bit later in the week. Larry Cobb's dad suddenly passed away. And we found out, and so with the church family, we prayed for him. It was a military service over in Arlington at 3 o'clock on Friday. And the military services are, how many of you have been to a military service? They are wham, 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 right? They really are. And so Larry's dad is going to be buried. They do the military thing, the marvelous thing with the flag and all this stuff, play taps, really moving. And then Larry's dad's brother shared. He said, this is going to be a strange eulogy. But remember that weird story that Jesus told 
about some guys that went out and a master hired them at 6 o'clock in the morning. And he said, I'll pay you a full day's work. Kind of like Pat Regan go out saying, I need some construction guys. And Pat says, I'll pay you for a full day's work. Pay you $30 an hour. Pat's going to kill me. But he says, I'm going to pay you $30 an hour for a day's work. Special, special guys. Pat, job's not done. About 12 o'clock, he goes out and says, guys, you come, I'm going to pay you. They say, okay. He goes out. It's just before quitting time. Five minutes of five. And they're going to quit at five. Pat goes out again and he gets some other guys. And when they all come to get paid, the guys that were there for five minutes got a monstrous check. A check like they had, they had been there all day long. So the guys at the end of the line that had been working there since 6 o'clock in the morning are saying, man, we're going to get boodles. We're going to have a whole basket of money. But when they get up there, Pat gives them exactly the same amount, and they hit the fan. Remember that story? Larry's uncle said, my brother fought against the Lord Jesus all of his life and didn't respond to the fact that Jesus died for him and that Jesus rose again until just a few months ago. And what I want to tell you today as his brother is that we have a God. You see, we get mad because we want God to be just when we need to rejoice because God is so merciful and gracious and loving. And he said, my brother didn't deserve to get in heaven. And he looked at all of us and says, and none of you do either. And the tears started filling my eyes. He mutually encouraged me because that's the gospel. That we can receive a gift. It's the amazing grace. And so a brother that I had never met until just before that funeral declared his faith. And I jumped in my truck to leave there. And even though I was sick, I was strengthened. Anybody have that, ever had that happen? Yeah. And I want you to realize that you have that power. You can mutually encourage one another. And that's why we're going to constantly tell you, you can't just be here Sunday morning. You need to get involved in other activities, other ministries, other small groups, because this Christian life is not theater-going. It is family-loving and family-caring. The Apostle Paul says, I long to see you. One of the things I want to pray that we'll grow in is that we're going to grow in our passionate family love for one another. I have some guys that, I, that are close to me, and I'll, at the end of an email, I'll say, love Dave. To be honest with you, I'm a little bit squeamish about that. You know why? Because in our culture, the only way that we think about really caring and really loving somebody is sexual. So I want to be sure that this is just brother to brother. And so it's becoming uneasy for believers to express, like Paul is passionate. He'll say, I yearn for you. I long to be with you. I really do love you. Paul was unashamed to use those kind of words, but we're developing a culture where the idea of real love within a family and real tenderness for one another is gone. And everything is sexualized. Even little kids are sexualized. And as the body of Christ, one of the things that the Holy Spirit wants to do is to help us to have the Holy Spirit-given passions 
where we really love one another. One of the greatest joys of my life is having brothers. I had some brothers recently that said, Dave, we'll take a bullet for you. We want you to know that. We love you. That's awesome. I mean, I could go to heaven right then. How about you? To have lived and have men that know me really well and love me and live with me to tell me that. That's what the Holy Spirit gives us. When we get to the the final part of the book, it's going to talk to us a lot about living together. And so in this introduction, the Apostle Paul is actually modeling through his own life how he mutually wanted to strengthen them. I want you to start to think of ways when you gather together. And I want you to stop and think right now, like in your Christian life, where are you mutually strengthening somebody? Where do you have relationships where you're mutually giving one another? And if you don't have some of those places, there's no reason in the world why you can't find a place where you can be in a situation where you can mutually encourage each other. So Paul has a passion to get together with other believers. Then he also has an incredible passion to come to Rome. And the next verse is he says, I long to see you, and I want you to know, brother, that I plan many times to come and I've been unable to, because he has a passion to have a harvest among them. As we close today, I want to see the final thing, and it's really the point of this letter. The Apostle Paul wants to come to Rome. And he wants to sow the seeds of the gospel, and he anticipates a great harvest. Look what he says. He says, Now at last, in, in, it says, In order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I've had among all the other Gentiles. And then he explains the basis of his harvest. I'm obligated both to Greeks and to non Greeks, both to the wise and to the foolish, both to those that are educated and those that aren't educated, to all different kinds of people. And I'm eager to proclaim the gospel, to preach the gospel. I don't use the word preach because you automatically think of what I'm doing this morning. And Paul, in the first century, they didn't do what I'm doing. In Jewish circles, they would sit down and they would have dialogue with a totally different kind of a form. So don't think just in terms of preachers. And, And the Roman church wouldn't think at all that just the apostle Paul would be proclaiming the gospel. They wouldn't think of coming to a get, they didn't even have a gathering place like this. They met at homes all over the city of Rome, probably. And they would think of proclaiming the gospel in the schools of Rome and in the marketplaces of Rome. So don't think stereotypically of the way we think of preaching the gospel, like a Billy Graham. It's much broader than that. I want to proclaim the gospel. Because why? Because I'm unashamed of the gospel, because it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. For the Jew and then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, in the good news about Jesus, there's a righteousness from God that's revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. From Habakkuk 2.4. What is the Apostle Paul saying? I want you to know the Apostle Paul ate, drank, slept, and lived for the gospel. Do you? Tim Wallace told our staff about a beer commercial he saw. He didn't remember what the beer it was, I don't think. Maybe some of you remember, and don't say it because then we'll convict you. But in this advertisement, the head of this beer company, they have this guy drinking beer, and he's just smiling broadly. Then they have him, you know, watching the beer being made. At the end of it, he's just about taking a bath in beer, and he ends the commercial by saying, I live for beer. 
That's what makes a great company. I want to ask you, would someone say, when I get up in the morning, I live for the power of the gospel? See, Paul says, I am unashamed of the gospel of Christ. And what I want to share is that I was raised in a situation where the idea was that every single day you were supposed to present the gospel, you needed to go through the plenty of salvation, through the Romans road. A lot of you have found that you're uncomfortable in conversations. Because if you're not a salesman's kind of a personality, then you're a little bit laid back. And so some of you might say, well, Dave, that's not my thing. Yes, it is your thing. The Lord wants you to present the truth about himself the way you do it, what you believe. And you're an expert on that. No one else knows in all the world more of what Jesus Christ has done for you than you. And I'm going to share something that will get you over the shame of the gospel, being ashamed of the gospel. If you don't think the gospel works, then you'll be ashamed of it. Some of you have been raised all your life in our church. In fact, you're kind of like me. And so you received Christ when you were five years of age. And to be honest, like I don't really know what it's like not to have Jesus in my life. So you know what? It's kind of like being around nuclear energy all your life, and you just take it for granted. Some of you lived a long time without Jesus. And your life, when you came to Jesus, there was incredible power in the gospel. Your life really, really changed. And so you see that demonstration. What I want you to realize is that whatever your experience is, there is real power in the gospel. Do you believe that? What did Paul say? For I am unashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is God's power unto salvation. Now, how powerful is that? I told you about Larry's dad. It's so powerful that when his dad responded and depended upon what Jesus did on the cross, all of his sins were cleansed. And when Jesus rose again and Larry's dad believed that, then he received a new spiritual life inside of him. No one else in all the world can do that. Jesus, according to the book of Romans, gave him the gift of his righteousness. And that's what Paul's going to talk about in this book. And the way that Larry's dad received that righteousness is just trusting in what Jesus did. That's what Paul's point is. For I'm unashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God which yields salvation to all those who are believing. He uses the present tense, and Paul doesn't hold that you just receive Christ and then your life can be lived anyway. That's not what Paul's going to teach. Paul's saying when you trust in Christ, it opens up a life of continually believing in him. Doesn't mean you won't have doubts. But it means like today, we should be working together to help our faith to grow. We should be helping each other to be more committed to Jesus, more dependent upon him. We should be believing in Jesus today. And then in the end, through that incredible gift, the righteousness, God's righteousness that was created in us through the gift of Christ's death for us and his resurrection for us, that we're going to be saved forever. 
That's why the Apostle Paul said, the person who's righteous doesn't live by his performance. Habakkuk said, the person that's going to stand right before God lives, lives by just depending, just trusting on what the living person of Jesus did on the cross and the resurrection. Tell me, brothers and sisters, do you still believe that that's powerful? Do you? I want to just close with a couple things to tell you about that. If you want to find out, I want to challenge you, if you want to find out that there's power in the gospel, you got to step over that line and you got to get involved. If your Christianity isn't working too well, I want you to start thanking. Simple thing, sometime this week, thank the Lord Jesus for how believers have shared their faith and the influence that they're having. Think of some illustrations in your life where a fellow believer at school or at work encourage you by their faith. Second of all, ask the Lord to really work in your heart that you'll have a desire not just to receive when you talk about coming to your church, but you talk about meeting together. You don't even think in terms of buildings, but you think in terms of I need to be together with other believers in situations where I can really connect so that I can mutually be encouraged. I can encourage them, and they can encourage me. And finally, let's really pray that the Lord, I believe the Lord has a great harvest that he still wants to generate through Midlothian Bible Church, and you're going to do it. It's not me. It's all of us together. It's not your pastors. All of us together. The early, remember I told you at the very beginning, this Roman church, it was people like you who caused their faith to be known all around the world. Father, I just thank you, Lord, that the Apostle Paul had such a clear vision of what the body of Christ should be, what a church should be. I would ask you now that my brothers and sisters would just be passionate about the incredible power that there is in the gospel. I pray that some of them will share about how the gospel transformed their life or something that the gospel did just the last couple days, their life with Christ. And I'd ask you, Lord, that, that we wouldn't just talk about a Roman church back in the first century that was known for their faith around the world. But I pray, Lord, that we would realize that today we can be part of that incredible, wondrous movement of your spirit to bring the world, to call out from among all the world people that will commit their lives to the Lord Jesus. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. For more information on materials available through Truth Encounter, please write to us at Truth Encounter, Box 580, Midlothian, Texas, 76065, or you can contact us on the web at www.truthencounter.com. Our telephone number is 1-888-668-7884.